Well, as Belinda said, we're going to continue on in this series that we've entitled The Tunnel of Chaos, and we're going to take a look at part two of building your character in this tunnel of chaos, but with an emphasis of building your character when you're experiencing emotional darkness. Because oftentimes when you and I go through a tunnel, it's dark. And I want to start off by just asking this question. How many of us here know someone or, or is married to someone who leaves all the lights on in the house? May I see your hands? Yes, there are a number of us here. Why is that? It's because bad things happen in the dark, right? There are robbers in the dark. There are thieves in the dark. There are monsters in the dark. And so as a result, a lot of people are light fanatics. They carry these pin lights on their keychains. They have a flashlight in every room, in some drawer, in case there is a power outage, isn't there? Their, 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 their most favorite app is the flashlight app on their smartphone, okay? A lot of people are very uncomfortable when it comes to physical darkness. But in many ways, that doesn't even begin to compare with emotional darkness. Emotional darkness is very uncomfortable. When you're in emotional darkness, your vision gets distorted. And you have a hard time seeing things the way they really are. In fact, emotional darkness affects almost everything in your life. That is why depression is so problematic and bothersome to people. The darkness threatens to take over their mind and it affects every area of their life. And then you add on top of that emotional darkness that people are experiencing, the, the lost feelings of whatever they have lost. And before long, what happens is that you find yourself in a darker place still. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, I would have us know, in the last three years, I've just been doing research in God's word about emotional darkness. Let's take a look at a few of these verses. 2 Samuel twenty-two twelve. He wrapped himself in a trench coat of black rain cloud darkness. You see, when you're in an emotional dark place, you're not able to connect with God. You cry out and say, God, where are you? It feels, God, like you have wrapped yourself in a dark trench coat, and I can't seem to see you. Take a look at Job chapter 19, verse 8. Job says this, God has blocked my path and turned my light to darkness. And if you are in a dark place emotionally, you go, oh yeah. Not only does it feel like God has wrapped himself in a trench coat, but it feels like he has blocked my path wherever I go. I can't go over it. I can't go around it. I can't go under it. And I can't even go through it. I'm just stuck in darkness. Take a look at Proverbs or Psalms 13, verse 3. Answer me, O Lord, my God. Give me light in my darkness, lest I die. When you're in a tunnel of chaos and you're experiencing emotional chaos, you not only feel that God has wrapped himself in a trench coat where you can't see him and that your path is, is blocked no matter which way you turn, but as you cry out to God, you don't get any answers and you feel like you're dying. The 
then you read Isaiah 45, verse 3. And I want to encourage you that if you deal with emotional darkness in your life, maybe on a chronic basis, this ought to be a verse that you hide deep in your heart. Isaiah said this, I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches hidden in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. And when you first read that verse, it shocks you. You come off and you think, guess what? I don't care what's in the dark places. I don't like darkness. But then you stop and you think, are there really treasures in darkness? But then you revert back to your initial thought. (laughs) I don't care what's there, okay? I don't like darkness. What is going on in this verse? You see, the Israelite, well, let me give you the backstory here. The Israelites have been in captivity. And there is this non-Jewish king, Cyrus, Cyrus the Great, who God is going to use to deliver the Israelites out of the hands of the Babylonians. And in Isaiah 45, God gives this prophecy to Isaiah to encourage the people of Israel about, of, about what is about to happen. And he says there's this guy named Cyrus who is going to become very wealthy. He is going to find treasure in darkness. He is going to find secret treasures that have been hidden so that he would know the God of Israel. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. History records it. Cyrus did deliver God's people from captivity and he did find hidden treasures in darkness, even though he had to dig for them. Let me give you a little bit more of the backstory. When the the Babylonians came in, the Israelites hid all of their treasures in hidden caves. And they buried them because they didn't want the invaders to find them. But Cyrus comes along decades later, and I mean decades later, three, four, five, seven decades later, and he finds these buried treasures and he becomes a wealthy man. And from that wealth, he is able to fulfill the call that is on his life. I like what Paul Harvey says. Now you know the rest of the story. I love history. I love the back story. I love that our God is a God who not only gave the prophecy, but was able to fulfill it for Cyrus and God's people. Now, you may be sitting here and you may be thinking, Pastor George, what in the world does this have to do with the price of corn in Iowa? What in the world does this have to do with me? What in the world does this have to do with someone who may be going through a dark tunnel of chaos? A lot. God says if you find yourself in emotional darkness as a result of a loss, I will give you treasures so that you may know that I am the Lord and that I have summoned you by name. Here's the point that I want you and I to understand. And next week, I'm going to elaborate on this even more, so don't miss my final message next week. 
God is able to enrich all of us with spiritual riches that is stored in unexpected places so that we too can fulfill the very purpose that God has created us. Just like Silas. But here's the deal. Those riches are often hidden in places of darkness. They're hidden in places of suffering. They're hidden in tunnels of chaos that you and I would rather not be in. This one verse right here teaches us three things that you and I need to know. It teaches us that we can know that God conceals treasures in in dark in the darkness of suffering. It tells us that we can know that we can expect God's power to intervene in our darkness. And thirdly, it teaches us that we can know that God will be close to us in that darkness. Let's take a look at each of these. First, we can know that God conceals riches in emotional darkness. Isaiah says this, I will give you the treasures of darkness. Riches hidden in secret places. Folks, if there was ever a person, and I would say that they're at the top of emotional darkness, it would have to be Job, right? Job Job found God hidden in a trench coat uh, of darkness. He found that every path that he tried to take, it was blocked by God. Every time he cried out, God didn't answer, and it felt like he just needed to die. And yet Job, in Job 23.10, says this. God knows the way I take. He knows the tunnel of chaos that I'm going to go through. Everything has been filtered by the Father, and he knows these tunnels that I'm going to go through. And when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. Job says, as I'm going through these fiery trials of suffering, something really beautiful is being formed. It is like gold. It is like treasure. It is like riches. In essence, he is confirming that these treasures, this gold, these riches are blessings in the messiness of a tunnel of chaos. He is saying these, this gold, these riches are unexpected good things that occur in emotional darkness. Now, sometimes those Riches, that gold, those those treasures just kind of automatically drop into our life. But oftentimes, they don't. Oftentimes, you and I have to dig for them. We have to put forth some effort. They just don't fall into our lap automatically. We've got to dig for them just in the same way that Cyrus had to dig to find those hidden treasures. So too, you and I have to put forth some effort to find what God has hidden in that chaos. To find the purpose for which God has allowed that tunnel of chaos to come into our life. I don't know if you realize this or not, but to find a one-carat diamond you have to move 1,750 tons of dirt to find just one diamond. Folks, that's a lot of dirt, isn't it? That's a lot of effort. Sometimes 
When our lives are in emotional darkness, where the pain is so great, where the loss is beyond description, the effort to look for just one blessing, the effort to just find one diamond is massive. One of the privileges that I have as a pastor, especially over the last 27 years in this community, is to have people come in and share with me their stories of tunnel of chaoses that they are going through and the treasures that they have found. I had one woman come in to me who told me that a, a woman who was a widow who told me that her husband recently remodeled their home and that every time she went into their house, instead of grieving because they weren't sharing it together, it was a reminder to her of his love that he had for her. Folks, that's like a a treasure. When that's shared, it's like that is a treasure from God. And when you hear that, you might think, I don't know if I could put forth that kind of work. That's too much work. And you're right, it is work. But she decided to dig for hidden treasure. Had another woman come into my office who shared with me that her mother was was murdered by a relative. And that relative was now in prison. She said when that event occurred, that the window in which she looked out of into the world was shattered. But God was putting that window back together now in a mosaic. And now she could say, you know what? I see what God was doing to bring glory to himself and for my good. That was a treasure in the darkness. There is a man in our church who is living with liver cancer, it's in remission. And he said with me, he would not trade his physical condition for the new purpose that he had in life of that of helping those who are suffering. That is a treasure in the darkness. I know of a couple who came into my office who shared with me that the treasure that they found in their darkness was loneliness. And I'll never forget, I said, loneliness? I mean, most people try to avoid loneliness. Because it's empty. There's emptiness in loneliness. It says it was in their emptiness that that enabled them to turn to God, to fill up their cup, to discover who he really was. That was a treasure to this couple who had two miscarriages in a row. One of the treasures that you might find are friends who are willing to share your darkness with you. There is a classic book out there, Grace Disguised by Jerry Sitter. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to read this book. I want to read it. I don't like to read stuff. But let me read to you this about the importance of community. Community does not simply happen spontaneously except in rare occurrences when conditions are right. Not even the unique circumstances of a catastrophic loss are sufficient to create community. In other words, it just doesn't fall in your lap. When people suffering, when people suffering loss do find community, it comes as a result of conscious choices that that they and other people make. First of all, it requires a choice on the part of those who want to provide community for suffering friends. They must be willing, and I want you to catch this. 
They must be willing to be changed by someone else's loss, though they may not have been directly affected by it. Good comfort requires empathy, forces adjustments, and sometimes mandates huge sacrifices. Comforters must be prepared to let the pain of another become their own, and so let it transform them. They will never be the same after that decision. Their own world will be, will be permanently altered by the presence of one who suffers. They are changed because they chose to get involved and to allow, and then he starts talking about himself, my suffering to become theirs. They refuse to give me only a month or a year to return to life as it was for me before the loss. He lost his mother, his wife, and his child in a car accident all at the same time. Since they knew life would not be the same for me, they decided that it would not be the same for them either. 11 years ago, there was an accident that occurred with an eight-year-old boy. You've heard me talk about it, Aiden, and he passed away. His anniversary of his passing was just last weekend. And my wife, every anniversary around Father's Day, writes a letter to this family to let them know that there are people who still care. Folks, you and I desperately need community. We need relationships. We need to be in a church that is filled with love and hope and, and encouragement because people need hope for the things that they are going through. And God has called you and I. I, If you're not in a tunnel of chaos, I praise God. Take some good notes because there are a lot of people in our community, biblically in this church and in our community at large, that need it. The problem, though, is this. We are good fixers. We want to get rid of people's problems so that they can move on in life. And in our hurry to fix them, what happens is that we rush past their pain when what we ought to do is we ought to be there for them. As I said earlier, we ought to be there. To, we should show up, shut up, and we should share. And those who show up and shut up and allow their friend's grief to transform their lives, I'm going to tell you this, it is one of the greatest treasures that you will ever be able to share in and to give. Remember, you and I are never more like Christ than when we choose to express compassion through presence and absorb the hurt of other people. This is true fellowship. This is the deepest fellowship possible. It is the fellowship of suffering. And so I want to ask us this. What are those hidden treasures that you have found in the dark tunnel of chaos? Can I encourage you to write those down? Because next week you're going to understand why. I want to encourage you to write those down because remember, what gets you through what you're going through is what you know. And every tunnel of chaos that, has come, that, has, that comes into your life is father filter. And God has allowed it so that, and will you write this down, so that you may know. Because it's what you know that gets you through. Well, there are two other things that we need to know 
as we experience emotional darkness, as we go through a tunnel of chaos. And the next one is this, is that we need to know that God has power to intervene in our darkness. God himself reveals who he is in this verse. He says, I am the Lord, the God of Israel. In essence, he's saying there, you know what? I'm the top dog. My ways aren't your ways, and my thoughts aren't your thoughts. You can't compare me to anybody. I am above it all. I'm above time. I am above space. I am transcendent. Isaiah expands upon this description of God. In Isaiah 57, verse 15, where he says this, the high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says this, I live in the high and holy places. In other words, I'm transcendent. I live in eternity. I see the end from the beginning. I see it all at once. I, 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 I'm living in eternity. But I also live with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. Identify, Isaiah identifies God as one who lives in eternity, who lives above it all so that he can intervene in our darkness in only a way that a transcendent God can. You see, some of us here have stories where we thought nothing was going to save us from whatever we were facing. Nothing was going to save our relationship. Nothing was going to save our finances. Nothing was going to save our marriages. Nothing was going to save our health. But then this transcendent God intervened. And that which we thought was hopeless, God changed it. God is like that. Now how God does that, folks, and I hear a lot of stories. I don't have the slightest idea. God is bigger than my mind. He's bigger than your mind. He's bigger than all of our minds put together. God works in mysterious ways. His ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. Three months ago, I get a text message. Let me share this story, Let, a little bit of the backstory. 42-year-old mom wakes up every Saturday morning, goes to yoga class. Halfway through yoga class, she feels like she's pulled a muscle in her chest, in her arm. So she stops, calls her husband, says, you know what, I'm coming home. I think I've pulled a muscle, and so I'm just going to rest for the rest of the day. And the husband says, no, why don't you go to the emergency room and have it checked out? Two blocks away, one of those quick ER places, she walks in, and they hook her up to just see if she's having her heart attack. And she's not. She says, well, I think I'll just go home and rest. He says, no, can we encourage you to go to the hospital? down the street, because they can run further tests just to make sure. No, I think I'll, 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 I'll rest. And her husband shows up at the quick ER clinic and says, no, let me take you to the hospital. Well, so they get to the hospital, and as she's on the table, and they're hooking her up, EKGs, just to find out what's going on, she has the heart attack right there. They informed her that if she had gone home to rest, it would have been an eternity. I don't know how God works, but God works. And he works in mysterious ways. And so I want to encourage you to ask this big, massive, gigantic, 
transcendent, powerful, mighty God to intervene. To intervene himself into your hopeless situation, you and your family that are going through. through, That he might show himself in a way that only he can for his glory and for your good. Now let's be honest. There are times when we have approached this massive, transcendent God and he has not intervened. Isn't that true as well? He didn't intervene to help save our baby. He didn't intervene to save our finances. He didn't intervene to save our our home. He didn't intervene to save our health. And what we were hoping wouldn't happen, happened anyway. What do you do? What do you do when God doesn't intervene? That leads us to the third thing that we know. That God will be close to us in our emotional darkness. Whether God intervenes in a miraculous way that you and I couldn't have even thought of, like this lady, Pam, and her heart condition, how God worked all that out. Or whether he doesn't. God is still with them. Let's read Isaiah 43 or 45 3. Again, this is an important verse. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches hidden in the secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel. Will you circle this? Who summons you by name. God is near, folks. He is close. He is intimately involved. And there is nothing more intimate about you than your name. If you're a parent in this stage and you're having kids, you you spend big bucks on books, don't you, to find that right name. Or you do a lot of research on the web to find that right name. I ran into a grandma and grandpa last week, and I knew the first name uh, of Grandpa Roger, and I didn't know his wife's name. And he informed me that her name is Emma. It's one of the popular names. It's an old name that's coming back. Names are important. One of the first things that you and I teach our kids, is it not? Is their name. It's to identify themselves with their name. And, and, and we do so because it builds intimacy. My name is George Edward Pfizer. That's my name. My first name is George. I was named after my dad's best drinking buddy, George Marble. In Newfoundland, by the way. And my middle name, let me give you a little backstory here. My mom and dad only knew each other 10 days. My dad was too young to get married in Missouri, so they drove to Arkansas and eloped. They had a two-week honeymoon. After that, my dad was shipped out. He was on a ship for one year. My mom didn't see my Uh, my dad, for one year. Mom comes back home. My grandma, her mom, finds out she's married. She says, well, you got to move out. You're an adult now. Kicked mom out of the house. She lived with the family who had an extra room, and the husband of that family was Edward. George Edward Pfizer. Now, I get a lot of phone calls from different people, okay, that are calling the church, and I got one this past week says, I'd like to talk with Dr. Pfizer. When I hear something like that, I think, they don't know me. Because my name is either George, or it's PG, or it's Grandpa, or it's Dad, 
okay? But our God, this huge, massive, transcendent God who intervenes in our darkness is intimate and close and he is personal and he knows you by name. Paul talks about this to the Athenians, these Greek scholars and how he, as he talks to them, he says, I want you to understand that God has set up this system. He has created heaven and earth not to hide himself from you, but that you might find him. Listen to this, Acts 17, 27. So we can seek after God and not just grope around in the dark, but actually find him. He doesn't play hide and seek with us. He's not remote. He is near. Folks, we got a close God. And whether God does the miraculous or whether God doesn't do the miraculous in our life, God knows you personally. And so this God, who gives treasures in emotional darkness, in darkness, there are treasures. There are hidden treasures through our suffering. This God, who is gigantic and massive and mighty, who transcends and intervenes, this God is a personal God. And when we know that he has concealed treasures in hidden places, and when we know that he has power to intervene in our situation, and when we know that he is personal and that he knows us by name, it only leads to one thing. Will you write this down? It leads us to worship. Like I said about Job, Job was familiar with suffering. He knew this God who hid himself in a trench coat. He knew this God who blocked the path. He knew this God that wasn't answering for a time being and that he was ready to die. He knew about this God, but it led him to worship. Take a look at Job 1, 20 through 21. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. Will you circle that? And said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. You see, after you have suffered a loss and you find yourself in a dark tunnel, an emotional darkness, you've got to look for things to praise God for. You have to look for things that lead to worship. You have to intentionally search for blessings that are hidden in the mess of a tunnel of chaos. And as you do, you know what you will discover? Will you write this down? you will discover that worship is a treasure in the darkness. That's what you'll discover. If you are in a tunnel of chaos and God has hidden himself in a trench coat and he has blocked your pathway and you feel like God is not answering your prayers and you are about ready to die, understand this, that worship is is 
a treasure in the darkness. And there are a lot of things that you can worship God for in your tunnel of chaos, in your emotional darkness. I've listed some out for you in the outline. They come out of the book of Job that I just finished a few months ago. That he is good and a loving God. That he is all an all-powerful God. That he notices every detail of my life. That he is in control. That he has a plan for my life. And that he will protect me. And you may sit here and you may ask, well, why is it that worship is a treasure? It's because of what it does for you and I. And Habakkuk, which my son taught on a few weeks ago, reveals this. Take a look at Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the, in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet, and will you circle this, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Why? Because the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. You see, what worship does for us is simply this, is that it elevates us. It's like a deer that has the ability to climb. And you've seen this on National Geographic, haven't you? These, these deer, these ram that are able to jump all the way to the heights to get above the turbulence that is going on, so too worship enables us. It, it elevates us to get above the turbulence so that we can see God himself who is our light in dark places. And this is what David reveals in Psalms 18, verse 28. Lord, you have brought light to my life. My God, you light up my darkness. You and I are able to get through what we're going through because we know. We know that our God has hidden and concealed treasures in dark places. And he has the power to intervene. And he will be with us on the journey to reveal himself to us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are not only the God of light, and some of us really love light, but you're also the God of darkness. That you're a God who dwells high above and far below. You're a God who walks with us and is close wherever we may find ourselves. Whether we climb the highest mountain or whether we go into the deepest part of the sea, you are there. And you have things that you have hidden for us, that you would call us to search out for us. That we might discover those jewels, though it may be difficult, though it may even be tiresome and fatiguing, 
we work through our mental loss or work through our loss mentally, God, there are treasures, there is gold that can be found, there is gold that can be formed in us. And we thank you for that, God. And we thank you for your power. Though we don't understand your ways, you are far above us, God. But we rejoice that you have the power to work miracles. And God, when you don't, we know that you're with us and that you're intimate and that you're close, that you know us by name. God, enrich us. God, we know life is tough. We know that tunnels of chaos come our way. God, thank you for what we discover in this one verse. For your glory, God. And for our good and God, for other people's good. May we be those who share what we know. For those who are living lives of hopelessness in our community. That they might discover who you really are. So we lift this up to you. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and continue in our...